0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. As you take your seat, I do want to welcome you today. If you're uh, maybe new or visiting with Venture, my name's Tim Lundy. It's my privilege to serve as the senior pastor here. And we have a lot going on. I I know you, you felt it in the different ways. In fact, next week is going to be a really exciting week for our church because we're launching a third service yeah next sunday at four o'clock and so just uh so you're clear you can come to the uh 9 30 service or you can come to the ten forty five service or are the 9 a.m. service or the 1045 service. It didn't change the first time, sorry about that. 9 o'clock service, 1045, and then 4 p.m. And all the things that we do in the morning, we'll do at that service and more. After the service, we're going to have food that's available. The pizza oven will be going. We'll have hangout times, bounce house, some things for the kids. It'd be a great time if you want to come to that 4 o'clock service and then have some connection time and hang out on the back lawn with us. We'd love to have you as a part of that. And uh, with that, I, I would just say, with all these things going on, with the new service in, in particular, if you're new and you've not found a place to plug in, we need volunteers in all different places. And the best way to be a part of Venture is to volunteer. And so I'd encourage you on your way out, you get a volunteer card. If you're looking for a way to, to sign up or plug in or find out about the opportunities, look at that card or you can stop by the hub and somebody will talk to you there. Next week, as well, uh, I'm going to begin week one of a two-week dramatic monologue entitled "The Bema," and uh, I've done it once here before. At Venture, I've done it a few times in other places with it, and it's it's not a sermon; it's a dramatic monologue. It's different in that. I would encourage you next week. uh, Try not to be late. Uh, you know, as you come in, because it's it, a little bit different format and the whole thing. We, we'll still have worship and the other parts, but, but you're going to want to be here for it. This would be a great thing to invite somebody as well as we just think about life in a different way. I'll just say as a pastor, uh, in, in the years of ministry sermons and, and different things that I've done, uh, this monologue, I probably get more response from it still than anything I've done. Uh, three weeks ago, I got a message from a college student who had seen, one, seen it from years ago. And he says, I still think about these questions and how I'm aligning my life. And, and the reason I think, one, it's, it's the use of imagination. I think it's a good story around that. But more than anything, I think it's because it forces us as people to think about what's to come. You know, you remember the famous book, Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And and one of the key habits is you always begin, no matter what you're doing, begin with the end in mind. If you think about where you're going, what the end is, it'll shape everything that you do up to that point. And I would say, in life, that is so true. What you believe will come at the end of your life when you step over that threshold of death. What you believe, what you know about, what you think about of what's to come is shaping your life probably more than anything else. And and I say that not just for us, just everybody on the planet. There'll be people on the planet today, hundreds of millions of people who today, they will pray five times a day and they will shape their life according to five pillars of Islam. There'll be people today, they walk every day thinking about the eightfold path of Buddhism. There'll be religions of all different kinds in that. There will be people today who believe there's nothing on the other side once you pass death. And that belief is shaping how they make decisions and how they live today there's few things in life and maybe nothing that shapes it more than what you believe is to come. And the reality is often we don't talk about it enough in the one place where we feel like we've got some answers about what's to come. And so over these three weeks, we're going to focus and give you an opportunity to think about that and, and think about not only what's to come, but on the other side, what scripture says. And if you look in your notes What it says specifically about the final judgments to come, the final judgment. Let me give you some precursors and then we're going to focus on the things that specifically God's written for Christians in it. And so if you look at it, every person will be judged by Christ based on two things. This is every person on the planet is going to be judged based on two things. The first is belief in Christ. Your belief in Christ, whether you believe truly that he's the son of God, that he came, that he died, that he rose again, that you have placed your faith in him, that belief in him determines every person's eternal destination. I mean, this is Christianity 101. The most famous verse in all the Bible is probably John 3, 16. If you look at it, look, look what Jesus says, God so loved the world, he, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. They won't perish eternally. They're gonna have eternal life. He said, I'm gonna give you an absolute promise of what's to come based on that belief. But notice we often stop in 16, but you keep going. He said, God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world. So his mission this time was not a mission of judgment or condemnation, it was a mission of salvation. But in order that the world might be saved through him, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But notice this line. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the uh, the, name of the, son, the only Son of God. And so, so he says, you, you're already positioned. You are either living in eternal life because you believed in Christ or you're condemned already. You're, you're a life of eternal death and your life is shaped by that. I mean, Jesus is emphasizing the same thing that Covey said. When when you think of the end in mind, it's shaping where you are right now. And so as Christians, we absolutely believe that, that, that your life first and foremost and your eternity, and this is why it's so important, your eternity is determined by your belief in Christ. And in fact, scripture uses some images and, and some of it, we don't know how, how literal. I think there is a literal when it talks about the book of life. And when you believe in Christ, your name is written in the book of life. God says, I'll never blot it out because you've put your belief in him. You've trusted in him. But he also says in revelation, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this first thing that we know, everybody's going to be judged by Christ based on their belief. Now, often as Christians, this is kind of where we stop. We kind of go, well, I believe. I'm in the club. That's all that matters. No, if you read scripture, the second thing we're judged on, the deeds in this life. What you did in this life actually matters. And if you look at it, it determines degree of reward or punishment. And and so when you think about this, this... Faith and works, this belief and deeds, they go hand in hand. That's why James, we just spent a whole season going through the book of James, and his theme over and over again was these two go together. You can't separate them. You can't just go, oh, I've got faith, I've got my ticket, and I'm good to go. He says, no, what you do now matters. That's how you evidence. That's how you show that faith. In the same way, what you do in this life actually matters in eternity. And so when you see in that Romans 2, 6, he will render each one according to his works. There's a part of the judgment that comes based on works. And as you look at that, Jesus warned the people in Jerusalem because they thought, man, we're in, we're so much better than everybody else. And he goes, I hate to tell you, it will be better and more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. He's looking over at the towns of Jerusalem and the other ones he was around, he says, it will be more bearable for the judgment of Tyre and Sidon for you and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. He's writing these cities that they thought, man, we're so much better. The people in Sodom, they're the worst people that ever were. People in Tyre and Sidon, you see their behavior and all they did. And Jesus actually looks at them and notice he says it's going to be more bearable on that day of judgment for them because they didn't have the truth that you had. They didn't have the evidence that was right in front of you that you're not embracing. And and so the the point of it, and I just want you to grasp this. There's two main things. One is your belief in Christ that determines your destination. But also what you did in this life determines degree in that. Jesus says it's more bearable and, and Jesus says it'll be more rewarded certain parts of that. Now, as I say that, let me be clear. There's no one that's gonna be walking around heaven bummed out, no one's gonna, man, I got a raw deal. There'll be nobody in hell that's gonna say, well, this isn't so bad, <laughs> they won't. I mean, both of them, They're such extreme with that, but in the same way we make it such a binary thing, as long as you just got one or the other, And if you read the scripture, scripture says actually what you do in this life has an impact. There's two judgments that we read about in scripture. These these two separate judgments. One, the great white throne judgment for those who don't know Christ. It describes in Revelation, a great white throne judgment for those who don't know Christ. Look look what it says. I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was open, which was the book of life. So some scholars say that one is kind of the books of deeds of all the things in life in that. And then the core is the book of life. And the deeds were judged, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according, notice this line, to what they had done. Now they're at the great white throne judgment because their name's not in the book of life. That's already been determined but in that judgment, he looks at it and he goes, all right, let's evaluate based in life. The same way for the Christian, the judgment seat in, in Greek, the word bema of Christ, that's for the followers of Christ. Where do we get that? If you look in 1 Corinthians, or actually 2 Corinthians 5, first of all, Paul says, whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, and that's that word bema of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. He's writing Christians. So what you have done in the body, whether good or evil, how you've spent your life. And when he uses that term bema, the judgment seat, for the Corinthians, they immediately go, oh, I know what you're talking about. In fact, if you go to Corinth today, you can still, you can see the image. This is the platform, it's in Corinth, where the judgment seat of Corinth took place. It was the bema of Corinth. And so matters that were adjudicated and you would come. And if you've been there before you stand there, and I mean, the platform itself is you're looking up at it. And then the judge sat up on the platform. It's kind of an intimidating feel with it. And so Paul says in the same way, hey, you guys know this in this life, in the life to come as a believer, we we will stand before Christ. He had written them earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, gave some imagery around this. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day. Whenever you see that, when he talks about the day, he's talking about the day of judgment. He's talking about the day when you stand before Jesus. He's talking about his return, the judgment with that. The day, the end. It's going to reveal it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will survive, receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This interesting illustration he's given here, the image of that day says, you stand before Jesus and your life is like a building. He says, now the most important part of the building is the foundation and nobody can lay the foundation, which is Jesus. So let's be absolutely clear. There's not any work you can do. There's not any deed you can do that that somehow is the reason that you're there. That's the opposite of Christianity. We are there because of the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that. He says, he is your foundation. And so you need to be sure that you're building all of your life on him. And guys, I I would just say for some of you, because we're talking about this, you know, that core decision around belief, whether your name is in the book of life, whether you know that you've invested your life and you've received that gift from him. And I would encourage you, If you don't know that, there is no other decision in your life that's more important. Man, if you don't have that secure, I would not leave this campus today until you did. I'd come down to somebody in the prayer team and go, I've got to talk because I need to know that. I'd go by the hub and go, hey, I need to talk to a pastor. I need to talk to someone because I've got to know that I have the foundation that is going to determine my destination for all eternity. Now on that foundation, look what he says. You then as a Christian have a choice. What are you going to build your life with? What are you going to invest in? And he describes it as you're building your life in all these parts on that day, it's like a fire. And that fire consumes all of your life and it's gonna reveal what's really there. The things that are gold and silver and precious stuff, the things that matter, the things that last, and then the parts that burn up. And it wasn't that they're bad things. It's not sinful things. You're not dealing with sin on that day. In fact, as a Christian, we never get judged for our sins. Isn't that awesome? Jesus was judged for our sins. So when you stand for Jesus, you don't have to worry about, oh man, what sins he's gonna bring up and all those parts. He's already paid for all that. But he is gonna go, okay, I gave you the foundation. What'd you do with your life? What'd you do with what I gave you? How'd you steward your time and your talent, your treasure? How did you build on it? And on that day, the fire will actually reveal what's really there. And there's some sobering verses here, because he says, hey, some people on that day, they have a full foundation in Christ, they're saved but their whole lives burn up. They, they have nothing to show for it in eternity. Because everything here was about here. It was about them. And, and he says they're saved as only through fire. So that, no, we're not talking about anybody losing their salvation. We're not talking about anybody like, oh man, you're a you're second class citizen or that. What we're talking about, though, is the opportunity and what we do with our life and how we build on it. And and so as you you hear that and you think about it, as Christians, we should probably step back and go, all right, what are the things that last? What does God reward? What does he say that he will reward? Now, if you look at your notes, I've, I've given you 11 categories there. And there's a lot of verses. Each of them are many sermons. We can can launch on it. We're going to go through them pretty quick because I I want to give you the the full list of it because it's the kind of things that you go, oh, yeah, this is where I can invest my life. This is what's going to really matter. And, And as you think about it, here's what I'd want you to hope. If you could go in Tim's time machine, I'd love to be able to go back like 30 years ago and go invest in Apple. Wouldn't you? I wish somebody had grabbed me in the 80s and said, Hey, there's this funny word coming Google. Just trust me. Invest in it. Facebook, Zoom. I mean, all these things that we can kind of go, Oh, man, I only wish in it. I'm going to tell you the things that we're talking about today, they're so much more important, and they're such better investments. And you don't have to go in a time machine because we have a God who goes, man, by grace, I saved you. By grace, I gave the foundation. By grace, man, if you align your life to the things that really matter to me, not only will I give you the best life now, I actually like to reward those things because I'm a really good dad. And I love giving gifts. But I'm going to ask you, do you believe me and take me at my word? and actually believe this matters. So what does God reward? Look at the first one, private prayer and devotion to him. Private prayer and devotion. Jesus' first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the biggest sermon he did in that that we have recorded in scripture. And you look at it and he starts out in that and he hits this theme a lot. And and in it, he says, hey, don't be like the, the people that like to do their righteousness in front of everybody. They like to show off. Notice he says, they will have no reward from their father in heaven. When you give to the needy, don't announce it. Don't be as a hypocrite in the synagogues. I tell you the truth. Look with this. Those who've done that, they've received their reward in full. The people who give to things so that everybody knows how much they gave, how good they are. He says, yeah, they got their reward. Great. Knock yourself out. Hope better everybody celebrates you really good. He says, but you, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that it may be in secret that your father who sees what's done in secret We'll reward you. See, you, you were giving a away. You weren't doing it to impress everybody out. You did it out of really a heart that gives. And God goes, oh, I see that. He, he follows on. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They pray standing up with that. They've received their reward already. Everybody made over them. They said, oh, man, you were so spiritual. Look at that long prayer you did, all that. That's why they were doing that. He says, I tell you, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He's looking for people who pray because they actually want to be with him. People that actually like the time with him, they're not doing it for anybody else. Now, does this mean we can't ever pray publicly or with groups? No, you see that in scripture. He's talking about a motivation of the heart in this. He says the same thing with fasting. He said the groups that fast and they let everybody know that they're fasting. He says they got their reward. They got what they wanted. He says, when you fast, wash your face only to your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. There's there's just a key theme through all of this, and all of this really is about faith. Man, when I do the things that God's called me to do by faith, do I really believe? Do I really want to do these things? Am I doing these acts of devotion? because I really do want to make it about him or am I making it about everybody knowing that I do these things? He says, just keep it in secret. Make that that thing that is special between the two of you. Look, second category. Second category is financial generosity for the kingdom. Financial generosity of the kingdom. We talked a lot about this in our generosity series. But I, I would tell you, if you look through scripture with it, what did Jesus say? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. I like this line though. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Notice that word store up. You have the ability to store up, to add to, to be a part of it. He said, just take me and my word on it. Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal for wherever your treasure is, your heart is. I, he, also in the parable, he says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. If you're dishonest in little things, you, you won't be honest in greater. If you're untrustworthy untru- about worldly wealth, if you don't use your money now when it's on this side of eternity in a way that honors him with it, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? He says, part of what you're in right now on this side of eternity is a little bit of a stewardship program of how are you stewarding well? Man, are you proving to be the kind of person that God looks at and goes, man, if that's how they handle resources on that side, wow. Man, when they store up on this side, how much more impactful will it be? If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things that are your own? If you're not faithful now with the resources you have, which by the way is not ours. Remember he says, everything is his, it's all his. And then he goes, it really is a hard issue. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't love God and you, you can't be enslaved to money. Again, just straightforward in this. I, I could spend a lot of time on this one. Here's the one thing I would say. Out of all the categories that we're talking about, one of the simplest ways to invest in eternity is financial. When, when God captures your heart with generosity in a way, you go, you know, I wanna invest in the things that matter. I wanna invest in the people that matter. I wanna invest in the things that are gonna make a difference. One, it will absolutely change the way you live on this side of eternity. It just captures your heart like a few other things. And then God in his grace goes, oh man, I wanna reward that as well. I think one of the biggest regrets For those of us who've lived in one of the wealthiest nations of all time in human history. I think one of the biggest regrets we're going to have is that we look up and go, you know, why didn't I invest more? That would have been so simple. Third category with it, faithfulness to him and persecution. Persecution. Faithfulness and persecution. Look what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You've been persecuted because of me. Not because of the trouble you caused, but you stood for Christ. You're persecuted for that. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, you're part of a select few, like the prophets and others who've gone through intense persecution with that. And I I just remind you, we have brothers and sisters on the planet right now that are facing unbelievable levels of persecution. Now you talk to our partners, our regions that we work in, talk to our partners in India who feel the level of threat going up every day for just the work they do and sharing the good news. You go talk to our partners in Ethiopia and you go to the north part of Ethiopia and you see pictures of Christians. The last time Aichi was here, he shows a picture of a young man, his arm was cut off because of his faith in Christ. We talk to our our partners in the Middle East who live under threat because they share the good news. Guys in the 20th century, the last century, more Christians lost their lives than in any century before that time. The level of persecution hasn't gone away. And, and as God looks at this, he says, yeah, those of you that God's called to be in that, it's not something we go seek out ourselves. but if you find yourself in that place, Jesus says, you can rejoice. God sees, God knows. You look at it, he says, do not be afraid what you're about to suffer. This was the church of Smyrna. I tell you, the devil may, will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. There's this period of time that it's coming. Be faithful even to the point of death. I'll give you the crown of life. Uh, several places in scripture it talks about crowns. We don't know if they're literal crowns. We don't know if they're a symbol of authority. That may be part of the reward with It, it isn't so much that we've amassed this amount. It's It's the responsibility, authority, the things that we're a part of in heaven, but in that he says, hey, you are showing your faithfulness in this, hold on. Your reward will be great. Look at this category, perseverance during trials and suffering. Perseverance during trials and suffering. We saw this with James, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Again, this promise, this this crown that is given and we don't know how literal that is in it, But if you look through it and you see it in scripture, I I love this, that God always says, I'm near to the brokenhearted. I'm near to those who are suffering. There's some of you that you've gone through things. You've gone through heartache. You've gone through loneliness. You've gone through a season of singleness that you you didn't ask for and it it wasn't your fault. You've gone through incredible loss, sometimes financial loss, because you did the right thing. Tremendous sickness. Or you've lost someone you love and you grieve over it daily God knows and he sees and, and everything in us goes why am I experiencing so much when I look around and these other people didn't it's that Job like experience Job looked at all his friends so nobody else was going through that and, and there's this part and, and hear me there's no reward to come that takes away the pain of this side of eternity but I think it's good to know that he sees and he knows and he values your faithfulness, even when you don't have answers and even when you don't understand. Look at the next category, care for the least of these, care for the least of these. It's one of the key things. You see it in Scripture over and again. How are you taking care of those, the least of these? How are you helping those who are in need with it? Jesus said to a host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. I mean, it's easy to invite the people that love you, the people that are your friends, the people that might be richer, and then you get something out of it. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You'll be blessed although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I, I, I love this, because we live in a world that, you know what the world tells you? You need to network up. You always need to be looking around you and who around you is more successful? Who around you, is, man, they're good looking. Who around you, they, they could help me. Who around you can I network with? Because my network will take me higher. That's great for this life. You know what Jesus says in his kingdom? He says, I always want you networking down who around you can't repay you. It will cost you something. It it may take a lot of you, of your time and your energy and your resources. But I'm looking for those who are always looking that direction. And you, you trust God with it. You trust God, even if they never thank you on this side, even if there's not that great ties it up with the bow and it was the greatest story. I mean, most people you serve, you'll serve them and they'll take it and take it and take it in a lot of cases. And you can look at it and go, well, what, this was a loss. God says, no, you trusted me with it. You weren't doing it to get paid now. You trust me with it. And then he even goes further. He says, love your enemies. Ah. I don't want to love my enemies. He says, it's easy to love people who love you. But then he, he adds this, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Ugh, you have a jerk neighbor who borrows your stuff and doesn't give it back. You go, Ugh, Jesus, I don't like this first. Can we just take this out? But look, he says, then your reward will be great. Notice, he ties them together. He says, yeah, you should expect great. If you really embrace this principle, why? Because your sons are the most high and he is kind and grateful to the ungrateful and the wicked. And you're living like part of the family. This is what we do in the family. We love those who don't deserve it. And it costs something. And hear me, it will take an act of faith for you to do it because there's nothing about them that they deserve to be loved. And so I, I would just say this, you may have somebody in your life right now that you go, oh God, why are they in my life? Why are they in my extended family? Why are they in my, near my cubicle at work? Why, why, and, and, you, and you, know, you know, all these things like, and everything in you is like, oh, if you just get them out of my life, it'd be so much better. And you, you're missing out on a great opportunity. God may have put them there because it's one of your best investments. Okay, God, how do I start loving them like you love me? How do I love? Because this is what we do in our family. And I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the most high. In our family, we, we extend love to those who don't deserve it. And I'm gonna trust you, God, with the reward out of this. It may not pay off on this side. They may still be a jerk at work. But I'm going to trust you with that. Commitment to truth and the right doctrine. Commitment to truth and the right doctrine. Look at what 2 John says. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. So there was this, this new kind of doctrine that was kind of floating through the church that said Jesus when he came he really didn't have a real human body. Because God couldn't have a human body. And so, so they were teaching it. And Paul, Paul or John says, oh, that's false doctrine. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. They're anti-Jesus. That's what Antichrist is. It's not just the one in the end. They're Antichrist. They're teaching a false doctrine. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Don't chase that stuff. And you, you can lose what you've built on that foundation. Anyone who runs ahead and does not, Continue in the teaching of Christ does, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And, and I just say this, and, and I want to encourage, because, you know, there's always, from day one, there's always been some new teaching in the church, some new way of looking at it. Um, they had to correct it then. If you study church history the first few centuries, most of the time they're correcting error, and that's how core doctrine, our creeds, the parts that are, in place with it. But we live in the day of deconstructing and people kind of chase and they say, well, you know, you really can, there's a whole new way of approaching the Bible that's never been approached before. Oh, warning sign. Whole new way of thinking about Jesus, whole new way of defining what's been clearly defined in that time. And, and I just encourage you I've been in this long enough, even the last 30 plus years that I've been doing ministry, there's always some kind of new thing that's coming. Oh, the new thing in the church with that. We always want to be a people who study in that. We never want to be a people who are stagnant, but we never want to be a people who are chasing new truths over the established truth that's been given to us. And part of that, here's what I've I've found. Some who do that chasing, you miss out on the opportunity of what life could have been about now. And so John warns us, and I love that he says, do not lose what you've worked for. Look at the next category, diligence in your work, diligence in your work. And he's writing to Slaves and master, because that was one of the core work systems back then with it, wasn't the same slavery as we have here. People weren't sold into slavery. In fact, you would be a slave that you often sold yourself for an amount, but you could buy yourself back out of it. But in that work system, he says, hey, it doesn't matter if you're the slave, it doesn't matter if you're the master. Look what he puts in the heart of it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, so you know that you will receive an inheritance. What's to come to you is from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. One of the key things, and, and I love this because any time I talk about rewards, I'll have some people come up and they go, well, it must be nice to be a pastor. Because you get to do this stuff all the time. So you're going to have lots of rewards, I guess, from it. The problem is, Scripture says, pastors and those of us in it, we're held to a higher standard. There's a higher level of scrutiny. Because we did get to do. Because we had things to steward out of it. So I'm not expecting this windfall. And here's what I'd say. Your work is from the Lord just as much as my work. God cares just as much about your job as he does my job. And and he's given you the opportunity when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to work tonight, when you're answering that next email, when you're doing it, in that moment, you have an opportunity to make a decision. Remember you begin with the end in mind. Am I doing this for my boss? Am I doing this for a paycheck? Am I doing this because this man is going to cash out. Once I cash out, life will be good then. Or am I doing this for Jesus? And here's the great news, from whom you have your inheritance and reward. I love this verse, because you know what it says? It says every job, every person, everything you do, it matters, and when you go to work, you have the opportunity by being faithful and diligent in your work of building on the foundation of Christ, because it's honoring him when it's done for him. And your work matters for God and for eternity shepherding and caring for and serving others he he says to elders shepherd the flock and there's this this promise to him when the chief shepherd appears you'll receive a crown of glory again the promise of a crown out of that but it's not just elders in the church he says God is not unjust he will never forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. There's this this promise of all of us. Man, you're not to be lazy in it. All of us are called to give away our life. All of us are called to serve others. All of us are called to shepherd, whether it's in your home or in your church or in your community. There's somebody in your life that you serve and you give your life away to. And this one may hit the closest to home, especially here in the Bay. Because I know a lot of people, they'll give money, but they won't give time. In fact, the, the first thing we kind of say, oh man, I wish I had the time. Oh, that's a great mention. I wish I had the time to be a part of that. Here's all I know. Every single one of us this next year will have, all be given over 8,700 hours. All of us, we all get the same amount, by the way. Rich people don't get any more time or less. 8,700 hours. And there's a part of it, it's just, how'd you spend it? Who'd you serve? Who'd you give it to? It says something about your life. It says something about what you really believe in it. That's how faith and works, they, they go together in that. Evangelism and outreach I love this. Paul says, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul says, you know, my favorite reward is one day when I'm in eternity and I get to walk up to people who know Jesus because Jesus used me to introduce them to each other. And I'll just tell you, I can't think of anything better in eternity. Do you think of anything better in eternity? Jesus describes it in John chapter four. He says, one day the sowers and the reapers are gonna all get together. He talks about coming to Christ like sowing seed and then reaping in that. And in every person's life, somebody sowed the seed. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody prepared the way. And then somebody had the privilege of being the person were there. They were the reaper when you came to Christ. One day in eternity, we're gonna connect the dots on all of it. You're going to get to see everybody that sowed into you and celebrate with them. You're going to get to see everybody that you had the opportunity to impact. There's nothing that will be more joyful than when we get to do that together. And I'd say there's nothing more impactful than when you share Jesus and know that someone's eternity has changed it. Final one, focusing and aligning your life for the day of literally thinking about the end, of lining, of living for the things we said. Paul says, I'm poured out, my time has come, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. He says, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, I'm looking forward to this, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. God's gonna award me on that day, but not just me. Everybody, who aligned their life and they longed for that day and lived for that day will be rewarded as well. Now, again, we've, we've covered these categories. I, I'd encourage you, look in scripture, look how many times God talks about reward. Look how many times he talks about these different parts of it. And as I say this, let me finish out with a couple of questions because I get them every time. One, is it wrong for me to be motivated by rewards? Uh, and i have people at times that come up and they go, Tim, we shouldn't be motivated by rewards. We shouldn't talk about rewards and that. And I'm always like, well, good grief. God sure brings it up a lot in the Bible. And, and there's a part of it. I mean, again, remember guys, he's our father. Could you imagine as a parent, I, I, we did this at times, like you, you're trying to get your kids to keep their room clean and you tell them, hey guys, let's do this. If you keep your cl- room clean every day for a week, Man, on Friday night, we're going to go out for a fun dinner and then we'll go get ice cream afterwards. It's going to be an awesome night. But hey, all right, I'm calling you to it. And then let's say on Wednesday of that week, one of the kids at dinner says, oh, oh, I got to clean my room. I don't want to miss out on the ice cream. And I look at him and I say, oh, you should not be motivated by that reward. You should clean your room because you want to clean your room. Should they want to clean their room? Absolutely. In fact, part of the motivation is to teach them a better way to live. And that's part of what God our Heavenly Father is doing. And I know when you say that, you go, but we don't deserve rewards. Of course we don't deserve rewards. We don't deserve salvation either. God's the one that came up with it. And he tells us in Ephesians 2 that it's by grace we've been saved. It's also by grace that we are doing these good works in him. He's the one that came up with it. The question for all of us is, how do you want to invest your life? How do you want to invest your life? That's really what it comes down to. Do you believe God in his word when he talks about not only what he's talking about in eternity, but he talks about the best way to live here? And I would just challenge you today and over the next couple of weeks, I think this story will challenge you as well. I just want you to read these passages. I want you to think about these things. But I want you to be thinking about Am I taking God at his word enough that when he says these are the best ways to invest life, no matter how he's going to reward, there's so many parts of it, we don't know there's a nebulous part to the reward itself. I think he kept it that way on purpose. See, even that's an act of faith. But as you walk out of here today, here would be the question, because you're not going to be compared to anybody else. What are you doing with the life that God gave you? What are you doing with the resources he gave you? Not anybody else. And do you believe him enough and trust him enough that you would say, man, I'm going to align my life in this because I believe it makes a difference on this side of eternity, it's the best way to live. But I also believe you're such a good God You not only save me, you actually reward me for the things that you do through me. Who comes up with that? Only the God of Christianity and our savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, we're gonna close out with prayer and then I'll send you guys out of here. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the ways you've rewarded us. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. I, I pray for each of us today. Um, I pray that we would wrestle with this because you're a God who wants to reward us more and you've pointed us to the ways we should be spending our life for eternity. And so I pray, would you challenge us? Would you correct us? Would you encourage us? Would we walk out with greater hope than we came in? And we pray this because of Christ. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.